In Jeremiah 29, beginning with verse number 11, just want to read a couple of verses there to remind us of this. Jeremiah 29, verse number 11, beginning. There the Lord has Jeremiah to speak to us on his regard. And he says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Basically, what that passage says to us is that it's really not about us, <laughs> but it's about seeking the Lord. Because he says, I know the thoughts that I have about you. And they are thoughts of peace and not of evil. I want to give you a future and a hope. And we thank God for that. Because that passage alone should be enough to, to help us to realize that God is not our enemy. But he is our supreme leader and our savior. And that we ought to listen to his every word. I want to thank you for your uh, attention this morning as you always give it so respectfully. As I preach to you the word of God. And I want you to understand as well that uh, as we said during our Sunday school class this morning. Uh, one of the things that Paul's. Uh, travels revealed to us as he went from city to city preaching God's word is that Paul was not influenced by them trying to hurt him. He was not influenced by them lying on him or, or not wanting to hear what he had to say because he understood that God gives the increase. So I want us to understand today that in our mission to bring others to Christ or to do what we do during the week to try to get others to understand the word of God, it's not always going to result in a baptism. That when you teach somebody the word, it's not always going to result in a conversion right away. And to the degree that we think we're in charge of that, we're going to miss the gold every time. Because according to Paul, to the Corinthian church, it is our responsibility to plant and to water, and God in his time will give the increase. It's only because Paul understood that, that he was able to say, no matter how you receive this, I'm not going to be persuaded to stop teaching it because you're not receiving it the way you should. I'm going to remain faithful to my commitment to give you the truth as the scriptures reveal it. And we're doing that same thing today. There are many times when people 
come to us and they're just like Felix and Drusilla, his wife. In Acts chapter 24, where we read this morning in our scriptural text that they show us three things about the average couple who hears the word of God. When we consider the text, which I invite your attention to again right now in Acts chapter 24 and beginning with verse number 22, just for emphasis sake, and I just want to make a few comments here and there to show us the kind of people they were. Now, this is a governor and his wife. I want to look at what the scripture says about that governor and his wife, and then we'll go on to our subject and our lesson this morning. When Felix heard, now Felix is the governor, when he heard these things concerning the resurrection of the dead that Paul says he was being judged by that day, after Felix heard these words, having more accurate knowledge of the way, which is what the Lord's church was called by those in the region. It was, no, it, it was at that time not called the church of Christ. They started out calling it the way. And he's saying, now this man is, is familiar with the way. He and his wife are already familiar with the gospel to some degree. Now, when he adjourned the proceedings, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, he said, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for him or to visit with him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. There are some folk who are acquainted with the gospel. There are some folk who will send for you to teach them the gospel. But the Bible says now as he reasoned, as Paul reasoned with him about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now, for when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And then listen, meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul. See, that, there's an ulterior motive there. In the midst of all of what he wanted to hear about the faith of the gospel, the Bible says, meanwhile, back on the ranch. What's really going on deep down inside is that he doesn't want Paul to go away with what he came for right now. I'm not going to be converted right now. Why? Because I want you to come back three, four, five more times and talk with me some more about the faith because verse 26 says that he might release him. He was expecting some money. Therefore, in other words, what's therefore, therefore? To, to, to summarize what he just said, he sent for him more often and conversed with him more because he was looking for a handout. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. 
Paul didn't give him any money. So he left him right there in jail. I was talking to the class this morning, and we want to use this subject today, hearing what's intended for you. The problem in, in Acts chapter 24, the problem with Felix and Ananias and those Sadducees, as well as some of those Jews, the problem they had is the problem that many people still have today. They don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, okay? And this book, it is ironic that the book that shows us how to be peaceful, people carry it around all the time while they're being thuggish. It's amazing that the world doesn't transfer what's here to their lives, but they go everywhere else looking for what we have the answer to right in here. My Lord, we buy commentaries and magazines and we spend millions of dollars on books that are based on this book looking for what this book already has. And when we start looking beyond this, we've missed the solution to any problem we po could possibly be having. This is what was going on in Acts chapter 24. There were people who were causing problems for Paul because the Bible says they considered him a plague. When Tertullus spoke regarding Paul in this 24th chapter, the Bible says he called him a plague, a pestilence. This is a man who wherever he goes, sows dissension. He divides Jews and he has divided us up all over the known world. His name is the same as a plague. You know what it is about a plague. Once it's out there, it spreads and it spreads rapidly. That's what they said about Paul. Paul is a plague because he's spreading this new law, this new religion amongst God's people. Many of them were serious about what they were saying because they were ignorant of God's law. Now, here's what I want to say to you today in the light of that. They were, in though they were ignorant of God's law, Felix, the governor's wife, came and they, the Bible says they had an acquaintance with the truth. You know, and it's, 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 it's all right. It's one thing to have Jesus as an acquaintance. It's something else to have him as a friend. When you really know deep down in your heart that you have this relationship with Christ, then you don't have to uh, be concerned overly about other people. You'll be concerned about doing what you need to do. Now, at each of, at each of the religious, uh, let me say this, at each of the letters, at the end of each of the letters that were written to the seven churches in Asia Minor is this admonition. He that hath the ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. That's not something that we're not unaware of. But we need to understand that at the time of what was going on in Acts 24, there was a change happening right before their eyes. There was a change from the old law to the new law. And that is why Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 24 and 25 that 
the law was a tutor or a schoolmaster to bring us unto faith. But now that grace and faith have come, there's no longer a need for this schoolmaster. Well, Felix didn't understand that. Many of the Sadducees didn't understand that. Many of the Jews didn't understand that the Old Testament was really a rehearsal for the New Testament. That the Old Testament concealed what the New Testament would reveal. And it's only when we understand that we have the responsibility to rightly divide God's word. Now what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 that we should all present ourselves, do our very best to present ourselves as workmen who need not to be ashamed before God. Why? Because we know how to rightfully divide the word of truth. When we don't know how to rightly divide God's word, it causes problems. Not only for non-believers, but for believers as well. The good thing that we can say about this couple is that they had an acquaintance with the gospel, though it wasn't a deep thing they had going on. They weren't committed. And secondly, they were willing to listen. They went back, even though they had some raunchy motives, they were willing to listen to what Paul had to say. But we find when they were convicted, we may be able to identify with this today. When a point hits you and is particularly powerful for you and it even causes you to shiver for a minute, we tend to run from that. And that's exactly what Felix did. The Bible says after Paul reasoned with him regarding three areas. Now, they don't tell us what Paul actually said, but they do tell us that he reasoned with them about three things, right? He reasoned with him about righteousness. As Paul taught Felix and Drusilla, his wife, he dealt with three areas. One was righteousness. Now, Felix thought he was all that in a bag of chips. He was the governor of the province. So here he is listening to Paul reason with him about righteousness. I don't know what Paul said to him, but it could have well have been Romans 3.10 where the scripture says there is none righteous, no, not one. That could have been what he said, which would have cut him to the quick. He reasoned with him about self-control, the scripture says. I don't know what he said, but it could well have been James chapter 1 and verse number 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Can you see Paul saying that to Felix? And then he reasoned with him about judgment to come. And though it doesn't tell us what he said, I believe that it very well could have been 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 8, where the scripture says, now we have, well, let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23, or uh, 21 rather. But now righteousness apart from the law 
The law of God, the righteousness of God has been revealed. And it's been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Could have been those things that he was saying to Felix and to his wife. But you know, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8, that he will return taking vengeance on them that know not God and who refuse to obey. Now let me bring this to where we live today. Often, people's religious lives are based on circumstantial evidence rather than hard evidence. See, that's people who are just acquainted with the Lord, really don't know him. Their faith is based on what they've heard about Jesus and his church rather than what they know for themselves to be true. I think all of us in some areas of our lives can identify with that. There are things that we've heard about Jesus but that we've never experienced for ourselves. There are things that people have told us about their relationship with Jesus that we can't connect with because we haven't had that same experience. There's some people. Their, base is based, their, their faith is based on what they've heard and not what they know. But when we consider, folk, all of the sermons that we've heard and understood, not just the ones we've heard, but the ones we've heard and understood in our adult years only, if we consider those, what kind of people, what kind of church would we be if we obeyed what we've understood? Just obeyed what we understood. When the word is preached, some, like those in Acts 24, hear it clearly and plainly and have a difficult time understanding why others don't see it the way they do. Paul and those who were with him and those Jews who believed in the resurrection of the dead had no problems buying into what Paul was saying. But just as surely as there is that group, there is another group who can hear the word preached and understand it but refuse to obey what they understand. You quiet and I hope that means you listen. What about those of us who hear the word preached but refuse to obey what we understand? Let me say that. If you can understand what you hear, then that's for you. If you can't understand it, don't worry about it. Let that fly right over your head. Don't worry about stuff you can't understand. And see, part of the problem is we like arguing about stuff the Bible says rather than doing it. We like talking about what's nice to do rather than doing it. So in some areas, we become satisfied with just hearing it. And that's where Felix and Drew Silla were. They were satisfied just hearing it. But when it started to ping his conscience, when the Bible says he actually became afraid Based on what Paul has said to him, he says, okay, let's break this Bible study up. That's enough of this. That's people who sit and listen to the word preached on Sunday, and they can't even wait till the last amen is said. They up and out of him. 
They'll do this in a minute on you. And many times it's because something has been said that has cut them to the quick. I want you to take personal inventory this morning. How much of God's preached and understood will is yours to embrace this morning? And what have you done about it? And then there are still others who can hear the word preached and not understand it at all. If they don't understand it, don't worry about that. Because here's what we know. According to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture was given by the inspiration of God. But all scripture is not directed to all men. That was part of the problem in Acts chapter 24. Some were hearing one thing, some were hearing another. And wherever that is the case, there is confusion in the ranks. If I say after this sermon this morning, how many of you understood it, and, and half raised their hand and the other half said, I didn't, we didn't get it, then we're not on the same page yet. And that may very well cause some confusion. That's why they wanted to tear Paul apart. Because he had the audacity to talk about something they didn't understand. The resurrection of the dead. These are scriptures. Well, let me say this. There are scriptures that are addressed to believers. And only believers can hear them. I'll say that again. Do you believe that? This whole book is not dedicated or written to every man. There are portions of it that are written to non-believers. There are portions of it that are for believers. Now know that to be true because in John chapter 10 verses 5 and verse 27, the Bible says, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and will follow me. So there are some scriptures that are addressed to believers and not to non-believers. Likewise, there are some scriptures that are addressed to non-believers. God speaks to non-believers regardless of whether they choose to hear him. John 3.16 is for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's everybody, believed in him shall have eternal life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. The Bible says about non-believers, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. A natural man cannot properly discern the spiritual things of God because he's natural. You're trying, to con you're trying to discern the spirit of God with a natural mind. And that's why we talked about Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2 last, last week. Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So unless our mind is renewed, we can't even receive the spiritual things that God has in store for us. You remember in John, when, when, Paul, uh, when, when Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, who had come to him by night to ask a question, after Jesus told him, you must be born again, 
who asked that question, can I re-enter my mother's womb the second time and be born again? That's a perfect example of Jesus trying to get a spiritual principle over to somebody who is thinking with their natural mind. So when Jesus says, don't be confused, you must be born again, his mind automatically went to the only birth he knew. A natural, physical birth. So he asked one of the dumbest questions that's ever been asked. Can I enter my mother's womb? How, Nicodemus? Think about what you're saying. Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again? And Jesus must have been somewhat frustrated with the question. Because the Lord said, don't get it confused, Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I'm telling you that in order to be born again, you got to be born of the water and of the spirit. Folk, here's where a lot of our problems lie. If you wonder why you can't get jump started on the stand, if you wonder why you get on fire one Sunday and the next, fire, next Sunday your fire is gone, it may very well be because you're not spiritually discerning the word. Because what I talk about up here that's spiritual, you're trying, to, you're trying to figure it out with your natural mind. And your natural mind can't do it. Paul has already told us that for the things of God are foolishness unto the man who's trying to figure it out with his, his mind. That's right. That's why when you talk to people about not, not uh, missing the service, some folks look at you like, <laughs> see, that's your natural mind's response. You can't hear that yet because you're still trying to figure it out in the light of all the stuff you have to do, how you're going to make that possible. And your human mind says, you can't do that. Just like what we talked about last week. I told you God wants the same thing Satan wants. Our body, our mind, our spirit. And you have those who, I ain't giving nobody all that. I like who I am. I don't want to be any different than who I am. Accept me as I am or get to stepping. Well, the Lord doesn't say I'm going to get the stepping. He gives us a choice to remain who we are. But here's the danger of remaining who you are. To the degree that we maintain our foolish habit of trying to understand God's will with this natural mind, we'll never understand the truth that he has in here for us. That's one of the reasons we keep preaching, 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 and people keep saying, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. But in their actions, they show, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. It's not getting through. Because we haven't transformed our minds. What do they call that? Pre-reprogramming, right? If you've been programmed one way, unless you go in and reprogram, it'll be junk in, junk out. Junk in, junk out. 
And that's what we are. Folks, if we never reprogram our minds, this will never speak to us. You can call yourself whatever church you want to call yourself. We can be the body of Christ and yet not be affected by the book that should guard our lives. So what do we end up with? We end up with those who cannot even perceive, even in every worship service, there are those who leave totally confused. I ain't turning another cheek to nobody. I ain't gonna be humble to nobody. I don't trust nobody. Those are signs that your mind has not been transformed. It has not been renewed. And what happens with that if you don't want to do it, then you need to know that what you're doing in essence is slowing your life here down to go to hell after you die. That's all you're doing. You slowing down. You got just enough religion to slow your life down from what you really want to do. So rather than going stone buck wild, you go mile buck wild. Because you got some sense that God wants you to live differently, but you have decided in your heart of hearts, you're going to give God 50% and you're going to keep 50% for yourself. And in essence, what we end up doing is making a step forward in progress and two or three steps backwards. And what we're doing is deceiving ourselves into thinking that the Lord is all right with me because he knows my heart. That's the problem, folks. He does know your heart. And he knows that it has not, in many cases, been rejuvenated or renewed. There are scriptures that are addressed to those who are in the middle. Or that I should say, there are, there are no scriptures addressed to those who are in the middle. Those in the middle can't hear God's word for themselves until they choose a position. And some people want to remain in the middle. I'm neither left nor right. I'm neither for good nor bad. I operate somewhere right there in the middle. So I can always keep my options open. I'm not choosing one way or another. I like operating right. Well, here's what the Lord has to say to those who operate in the middle. Luke chapter 11, verse 23. He that is not with me is against me. There are only two sides there. If you're not with me, you're against me. And we know already from James 1.8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Sometimes the scriptures speak to everybody. Genesis chapter 1, John 3, 16. Sometimes they speak to those who lived under the Old Testament law. Not us today, as it did in Exodus chapter 20, where it shows us the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israel. Sometimes they speak to New Testament Christians. Like in 1 Corinthians 12, where it says to us that we are all the body of Christ. And members in particular, but we all make up the body of Christ. Sometimes the scriptures speak only to men. Like in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 where it talks about the qualifications of elders and deacons. And it says a man who desires this work desires a good work. Well, that's directed to men in the body. 
why sometimes it speaks to married men. Like in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, when it talks to him about how he ought to treat his wife and how he ought to treat his kids. Love her and don't frustrate them. Sometimes it talks to married women and tells them how they ought to treat their husband. Love your husband and take care of the family. Sometimes it speaks to children. Like in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. And then sometimes it speaks to the aged. Like in Titus 2, 1 through 6. Older men teach the younger men. Older women teach the younger women. And then sometimes it speaks to the young folk in our world. Ecclesiastes 12, 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Some scriptures are not directed to us today, folks. And we really don't know what we're asking for when we misapply scripture. And that's what was happening in Acts chapter 24. They were misapplying what they were seeing in front of their eyes. The change that was taking place. That this is no longer about the law. Because we know that redemption is about more than the blood of bulls and goats which can never... Never redeem sin. We're going to need some blood, but it's not the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus came after all of that was the practice and changed it so that he went in and sacrificed himself for us once and for all. His blood of him being a spotless lamb did it for all of us, those who lived under the old as well as those who live under the new. So I encourage you today, don't let people get away with saying we live by the whole Bible as doctrine. Because then you need to say to them, well, what about Exodus 21, 14, which teaches us an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? If you knock out my eye, is it all right for me to knock yours out? If you cut me, is it all right for me to cut you back? Under that law, that was the way it went. What about Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 20, 21, where children were stoned to death for being disobedient to their parents? I haven't heard anybody embrace that if we still live under the old law and the new law. But some people will say one thing but practice another. There are those who will let you know that, no, I don't believe that. But uh, maybe that's what was under the law and maybe that's what we ought to be doing. And then throw this one on them. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10 and John chapter 8 verse 5, which says that those who were caught in the act of adultery were stoned to death. You don't hear many people embracing that. But they still want to say, we live under the old law. The keeping of the Sabbath was for the Israelites only. And then the scriptures tell us that it was the Sabbath that was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And all the Lord is saying is be wise enough in all of your work during the week to take a day off. Rest. Isn't that kind of common sense? We have a lot of folk who probably miss service simply because they're tired. They're tired. 
And many times you can't get them to understand that though you're tired, you still have a responsibility to God. Who, by the way, is the one who gives you the strength to make it to your job? To get tired. And then when you get tired, you say to the one who gives you the strength to get tired, I'm tired, so I'm not going to worship today. I wonder how that sets with God. I wonder if God says, I understand, my child. When you're tired, you got to do what you got to do. But then we get up Monday morning and go to work tired. Have mercy. I understand that I can't make you do anything. But when we hear the word of God, we ought to want to obey it because it is the word of God. Now, I just want to leave that with you today because, you know, we, we need some help. We need for every member of this church to be pulling in the same direction. And we cannot deceive ourselves any longer into thinking that everything is going to be all right with us even though we're not trying to bring anybody else to Christ. I gave some statistics in the Sunday school class this morning that I was reading over as I was preparing for this lesson. And one of them is that 5% of believers do 100% of the evangelizing. 5% are committed enough to do some evangelizing. That means that 95% of believers will die without bringing anybody else to Christ. Let me ask you something. Let me, let me, I'm going to throw this to you. As Brother Austin says, sometime, I'm going to let you dribble this a little while. And then when you finish dribbling a little while, throw it back to me. I got three questions that I want to leave you with. I wrote them down here somewhere. And I'm trying to get back to them. One of them is, do you believe that the Lord has lost his ability to use you to convert someone else? That's the first question I want to throw out there to you. Because anytime somebody's converted, it's not you, it's the Lord using you to convert them. And you don't know when it's going to happen. Has, has the Lord, has something convinced you that the Lord has lost his ability to use you to convert somebody else. Because if that is the case, how in the world are you going to go to heaven without having converted somebody? How many of you believe that you can be saved without attempting to save somebody else? I think a lot of us believe that. That I know I have to live right and I know I have to commune and give and but all this stuff about trying to get somebody else to come to church, that ain't for me. Well, you signed up for the wrong band. Because this one has as its premier goal the saving of souls. And how is that gonna happen if we don't do it? Is the world gonna come to save us? Or must we go and save the world? Do your problems outweigh your faith? Dribble that a little while. Does your lifestyle nullify your witness? 
struggle that one. Somebody fits into one of those. Somebody who has decided, I ain't trying to get nobody to go to him. I'm trying to get there myself. What kind of statement is that? That would suggest that you believe you can get there without taking somebody with you. I want to know why that, where that is in the scriptures. Now, we all can't preach, and we all can't teach a Bible study, but we all can witness to somebody the same way we were witnessed to. If it worked on you, why won't it work on somebody else? Because the same God is in charge. I just thought I'd encourage you along those lines this morning because, folks, if we don't buy into this pretty soon, I'd hate to see what we're going to look like 10 years down the road. Somebody better get serious about this. And it doesn't need to be someone. It needs to be all of us doing our part. So we're going to do our best as leaders to guide you in that direction more fervently than we have before. But if you're here this morning and those three questions, I hope they bother you until you give them an answer. But you need to know that the Lord is here. He's available to us. He only is concerned about our peace. He wants to give us hope. And if you believe that this morning, you ought to come with a renewed spirit to do what you understand is right to do. Pay attention to those things that are for you. If you're here today and you're subject to this word, you, you've heard the word, now believe it. Repent, confess Christ as Lord, and be willing to enter the watery grave of baptism. If you're here and you're a, body, a member of the body of Christ, then you can make your own decision to do better today than you did on yesterday. You can make that decision, and we encourage you to make it as we together start.